those radio reporters have 20, 30, 100,000 followers. So when they start talking about this new thing that they're going to be on, right, it's just they already have the, the trust of the community. So it wasn't that challenging to do. It was challenging to get those people to trust me from Silicon Valley who moved into the wildland. That was the challenge. Welcome to Transform It Forward, the podcast that gives you an inside look into the before and after some of the world's most effective transformation processes. I'm your host, Paul French. Necessity is the mother of invention, they say, and if you're facing a challenge, there's a good chance that others have the same issue. For John Clark Mills, CEO and co-founder of Watch Duty, it's the critical need for more information about the wildfires that were raging around his home in Sonoma County, California. It was the pain point that led him to launch the company, which is operated by experienced fire reporters and many other collaborators who diligently monitor radio scanners and other data sources 24 hours a day to keep people updated in real time. In this episode, I sit down with John to pick his brain on watch duty, how it works, and the company's plans for the future. Enjoy the conversation. John, thanks for joining today. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. You came up with something that seemed to be a really important uh, niche in the market. Talk a little bit about how it all started. Yeah, um, I don't know if I would call uh, disaster a niche, but it is definitely a growing industry, unfortunately. Uh, it got started because I lived through the Wallbridge fire in Sonoma County in 2020. And so that fire uh, stopped about a quarter mile from the edge of the ranch that I had just purchased. Um, I came out there to do nonprofit technology work. And uh, this spoke to me because no one was solving the problem. And I was living in a dangerous area with very little information. And so I built something that I needed. Yeah. To be clear, the, the uh, disasters are not a niche. The, uh, the solution you sort of worked your way into in that, in, in that time uh, is something that really hadn't been produced in a material way. So talk a little bit about the importance of crowdsourcing uh, in, in bringing this information forward. Yeah, it's interesting. Again, like this is not a niche. There's about 25 other apps, maybe more, that are trying to do what I'm doing. So this is like very well known. Everyone understands what the problem is. Every year, there's another app, another idea, and everyone is taking a swing at it. They're just, they're not hitting the right, I hit the mark, right? And so for us, what we came to realize was that the best way to solve this problem is to use human beings, not try and replace them. And so that was the big win for us, was that ultimately everyone's trying to use the data sources from satellites, from CAL FIRE, whatever it may be, but those are very slow to update, very static, um, and they do not give you a real-time picture of what's going on. So what I did is during that fire in 2020, I started finding all the intel I needed on Facebook and Twitter. And so what I started to do was approach those individuals and ask them, do you guys want to be a part of this bigger platform that we're building that will give you a much larger megaphone to reach deeper and deeper into the world? So yes, it's crowdsourced, but the same way that Reddit is crowdsourced, right? So there's a moderator. There's not just random human beings posting random stuff, right? This is done by professionals. To make that come to life, though, you needed to come up with some some sort of network effect, right? You needed to have the right kind of people in the right kind of places in order to to know what was right and what wasn't right, cross-reference it against authoritative information, I would imagine. How did you get from zero to one and one to five? Well, I'll be very clear about what I do here. I, I'm, I'm a product 
based entrepreneur, right? Although I'm an engineer, I study what people do. So I didn't do anything new. I found people who were already doing what you just described, right? So it was about finding them, building a community around them, giving them tools. We built them a Slack, uh, Slack network with bots and other infrastructure to allow them to talk with each other, listen to real-time intelligence on radio communication channels, right? Like actual first responders in the field, cross-reference with things like from the government, et cetera, et cetera. But for the first 20 to 30 minutes, there's no information from the government, right? It's all done on radio communication. And so that's what those folks are doing. They're listening and disseminating knowledge that they're hearing um, on uh, radio channels. Radio channels like public radio channels or radio channels like uh, scanner data, things like that? Radio scanners, right? Essentially, um, first responders use um, low-frequency radio to communicate with dispatch, uh, to communicate with the uh, air attack. Um, and there's all different channels that you can listen to either locally or on Broadcastify. So you talked that, that you're a product guy. And um, and that was one of the things that struck me is it seemed that you took a traditional product development approach here, looking at the need, looking at the sources that were available. How did you how did you turn that into the MVP? And, and how does that inform where you're going to go over the course of the next couple of years? To me, this is obvious, right? Like, I know most people won't say that, but I've seen enough of people trying to solve this issue. And so you look at what's called fire Twitter, right? It's just Twitter with people, hashtags with a fire name. You look at what they're doing and you say, this makes a lot of sense. The problem is this is geospatial information you're giving me in a text format, which is the problem with the government, right? Because you get a push or you get a text message from the government. It's all capital letters. It's confusing as crap. And it tells you, go left, go right, here's where you're supposed to evacuate. And that's kind of all you get. Really what you want is a map. And so the idea came up of just adding a map to a newsfeed and thinking about this in more of a geospatial format. So to me, it was pretty obvious. We built it in less than 80 days with no money and a couple of engineers out of nowhere because it was necessary and not that challenging to do. The challenging part was building the community around it. That was tough. And so how'd you do that? Well, you convince one who convinces the next one and convinces the next one, right? And then once you get the most famous person on board, then everyone else comes and follows suit, right? It's a network effect internally between these radio reporters who listen to each other anyway, right? So like they all knew each other. They knew of each other. It didn't mean they talked, but they knew of each other. And so once three came on, four came on, the most famous one came on, then everyone just kind of followed suit, right? This is all natural. This is like... Good products are natural. No one cares about how they work. No one cares about the engineering. It's what does it do for me and how easy is it to use? And that's what we focused on. Well, it's certainly the, the key to the adoption of it, I would imagine. Um, 22,000 people in the first couple of weeks, I think is what I read. So how did, how did it take on that viral approach? Was it literally people telling people or was it the person who was the, the fire Twitter person saying, hey, if you want to get my even more you know, pushed notifications come follow me on watch duty. Yeah. I mean, I think it was, I think we had 22,000 users in like a day or two of it launching. Now we're at a quarter million, uh, it appears. Um, and it's really, you know, we used what Silicon Valley calls influencer marketing, right? You were kind of yeah. tapping into that, you know, statement a second ago where it's, you know, those radio reporters have 20, 30, hundred thousand followers. So when they start talking about this new thing that they're going to be on, right? It's just, they already have the, the trust of the community. So it wasn't that challenging to do. It was challenging to get those people to trust me from Silicon Valley who moved into the wildland. That was the challenge. 
So how do the authorities think of this? I mean, you think when you, when you look at how people have described this in the past, they go, hey, this is great and all, but, you know, let's not forget, you know, we're the government and we're here to help. How do you, do you see this as a, as a disruption trying to push them along to do what they should be doing? Or do you think this is a natural supplement of what they're ever going to be capable of doing? Uh, I mean, it's a yes and situation. Like the government, some governments are more inclined to work with us, especially if they're in smaller counties with like 50,000 people in them. They don't really have the budget or infrastructure to do alerting like this. Uh, very well. Um, so we're trying our best to extend all branches, but we, you know, there's a lot of comments, you know, that on the internet from Cal Fire officials who don't really name us by name, but they have a very generic statement of we are the official source for fire. No one else is, you know, use your own discretion. And I understand why they do that, right? It, it's, it's in their best interest to protect, you know, the citizens in the community. Um, the challenge is that in a modern world, people want more information. So sending out an evacuation order, you know, an hour into a fire that's blowing really fast doesn't make people feel very good. They don't even really tell you, hey, you should probably go east or go west. Like, where is this thing? I don't even know which way to leave. So it's not exactly the way that people want to consume this information. Will the government do something like this eventually? Maybe, but the challenge is that like, this needs to be looked at holistically top down, not from California down, not from the US down, but from like the world down or the citizen up, right? So if I'm a citizen and I'm notified of an activity, where's the danger? Where's the wind going? Which way should I be leaving my property? So unless the counties are going to work together and the governments are going to work together, you're never going to get us a product like ours that is crossing borders. Fire doesn't care about borders or boundaries or fire departments or municipalities, right? But governments do. So it's really challenging for them to imagine them to work together well enough to build a cohesive product like we have built. So in that case, the olive branch is, hey, give me better data and I will, or give me access to the, the types of things and I'll make sure that the citizenry is protected. The olive branch is, we're a nonprofit. We're here to help. Come work with us. We're not trying to sell them anything. We don't want anything from them. We can get all this intel anyway. And when they publish their official, official intelligence, we publish it on our platform. So like, it's not like a this or that. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it's just the, it, it's the old school um, access to information is power, I would imagine, in some cases. Yeah, I mean, you know, they can't really control some of that information, right? A lot of this stuff comes in clear audio over radio communication channels, which are public. So... How do you stop that from happening? Yeah. What are you finding as the, um, and this is going to sound like a silly question, but are there any like persona-based specifics in terms of where you're seeing the adoption? Is it all geographic? I live in an area that has a lot of fires, and so that's where you start to see concentration, or is it kids pushing their parents to do it because they're not around? Is it, you know, how, how are you starting to see as a, as a product perspective? Um, the sad reality is that when there's a fire, a major fire in a certain area, we start getting thousands of users an hour, right? It just blows yeah. up because lots of people already know about it. We're every Department of Emergency Management, no OES already uses it, whether they want us to exist or not. The officials use us. Lots of citizens use us. We're on the news, we're on television, we're on the radio. And so it's hard to talk about wildfire anymore in California without talking about watch duty. And so that just kind of naturally, naturally occurs, 
right? For better or worse, it's tied to disasters. Yeah. So a lot of our users are uh, much older. The younger people I meet are all like, oh, you build Watch Duty, thank you so much. The older people are lining up to take photographs with me and sometimes in tears, just thankful that someone is there looking out for them, even though they necessarily can't even understand some of the firefighter language. They just know that someone's looking out for them and giving them real-time information. Disasters, uh, as you point out, they're not niche and uh, fire's not the only one. It would seem to me that the platform that you've built here could be used for myriad disaster types, regardless of wherever it is. Where? How do you look at this over the course of the next five or 10 years? Yeah, I mean, this is not about, you know, I remind everybody, this isn't called fire duty. It's called watch duty, right? So there's, they all have something in common. Most disasters have something in common. Earthquakes are a little bit different, but usually for a flood, mudslide, tornado, fire, you don't really know where the danger is, right? There's an unknown perimeter that maybe is over a ridge or around a corner and you can't see it. So it's contextual information based upon, you know, unseen threats. So going into this, we knew we were not going to end in fire. It's just where we're going to start. So over the next couple of years, you're going to see us in more states covering more incidents. And that is the hope, right? That we become the, the lack of a better term, one-stop shop for disaster. I'm not sure that's a great tagline, but I see where you're going with it. Um, so, um, you know, I, and I lived it in, in the last week, right? I'm in Dallas, Texas. We had 10 inches of rain in my neighborhood earlier this week where, you know, at the bottom of the hill I live on, all of a sudden it became a duck pond, you know, in, in 30 minutes, right? So it it isn't. Do, do you feel like the, the high value of the platform is the moderation and, and, and some sort of, you know, expert uh, contribution? Is that also going to be the thing that slows you down? Uh, that is the only way to win. Otherwise, you can download any of the other apps that already exist and see what happens, right? So the only way to win is to have actual experienced moderators, i.e. reporters who understand disaster, they understand lingo of first responders. This needs to be parsed and and clearly uh, spelled out for people, or you can go back to the way things used to be, which is not how I want to live my life. Yeah, I know it seems a little haphazard. So then, then as you start to think about rollout plans, obviously, then you're going to end up in the places that have, you know, frankly, a little bit more of a predictable disaster requirement. You're going to end up on the Gulf Coast. You're going to end up, think, is that kind of how you're thinking about where it goes in terms of recruiting and, and rolling things out? No, we're really thinking about it, about spreading from west to east, right? So okay. we haven't done Oregon, Washington, Nevada, Idaho, Arizona, and New Mexico are all burning. Right. So that's where we're going to start. And we're going to make sure the West is covered for floods, hurricanes, not hurricanes, but floods and fires, right? Mudslides, things of that nature and and earthquakes, right? If and when that does occur. So we're very focused on fixing our challenges locally and then scaling out globally. But we have to be patient to do this. So it's not for lack of desire. It is let's do the right thing and let's be patient. This is not a move fast and break things situation. Yeah, no, I would, I would get, but, but what is, what is the thing that requires the patience? If you've now started to get a, a, a sense of critical mass in this particular area, you've got some trust and credibility of, of a community. You don't believe that that's portable to, I'm going to go show up in, in Idaho and say, look, we did this here. Here are the nine people that I need to, to start to roll this thing out. Well, and, I, and I appreciate your nonprofit and the goal is not to try to, you know, scale maximum value in the first five minutes. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're going to do that. 
It's not if or how, right? It's when. And so when we are ready and we find those right reporters and moderators in those areas, we will scale to those areas. Until then, we're not going to go and half-ass it. This is not something that's too dangerous, right? And so this is not about rapid growth at all costs, although we are growing extremely fast. It's about doing the right thing and developing the best product that anyone has ever seen for natural disasters. So um, disasters are often seasonal. And while climate change is, is going to make this different in every single case, do you worry that there'll be um, a sense of engagement loss that you'll sort of have to re-engage the community every year when this starts or, or given the uh, previous history when that fire starts, people are ready to go? Yeah, there's no, there's no end. This doesn't stop, man. Like this is, this is, as someone told the Wired reporter the other day, he says, she said, this is my Valium right? Like this helps people stay calm. Like I'm not, look, our engagement is through the roof. We're doing millions of monthly active users with barely even, you know, launching this thing. It is not going to stop anytime soon. And if it does, great, man. Like this is not, you know, there's less disasters. I'm not going to complain, but that's not what's going to happen. So what's the end state for you? There is no end, right? This is just the beginning. I don't, I don't think about your purpose. Yeah, I mean, this is what I'm here to do. My, my purpose was to come use technology to help change the world. I just didn't know it was going to be in wildland fire, you know, and natural disaster. But this is my purpose, right? It's a good purpose to have. Well, you've been very generous with your time. I know you do have a hard stop. And um, and, and the Wired article was great. I encourage people to, to get a little bit deeper there. When the day is over and you've gotten uh, additional users to you know understand which way the fire is blowing... Uh, what kind of music do you like to listen to? You know, that's a great question. Uh, <laughs> I'm kind of all over the board, but you know what's happened to me recently is now that I'm living in the country, I really love outlaw vintage country. I don't know how that happened, but maybe it's my neighborhood. Maybe it's what I'm doing in my life, but one of my favorites. It's a little Waylon Jennings, a little Chris Christopherson and call it a day. Yeah, it's one of my faves, but I listen to everything. I, I like classic rock. I like, you know, French pop and, you know, electronic music and all sorts of different different genres. It really depends. John, I appreciate your time today. Thank you very much for, uh, for creating, creating the app that's going to save lots and lots of lives. Thanks a lot. Thank you, man. I learned so much from my conversation with John, and I hope you did too. Here are some of the key takeaways. First, take advantage of the network effect. As John explained, part of the challenge of bringing Watch TV to life was building a strong sense of community around the app. And to do this, he and his team were focused around getting well-respected radio reporters on board early. This would ultimately convince others to get on board. And from there, the growth effect is exponential. Second, think bigger. Part of the vision for Watch Duty is to adopt a more holistic view of natural disasters by taking a top-down approach. Instead of confining their thinking to the local area, John and team took a global view of the problem to build a cohesive product that would function effectively across borders because we all know that natural disasters don't respect them. Third, keep an edge against the competition. For WatchDuty, there were already several other apps out there operating in the same space, but with a critical difference. John and team recognized that pure crowdsourcing wasn't enough. It needed highly knowledgeable and connected contributors who understood the disasters and all the distribution that came along with them. Fourth, be open-minded about your larger purpose here on Earth. For John, he knew his purpose was to change the world through technology, but he never expected to manifest this in the realm of natural disasters. It's a great reminder that your life purpose can often come in disguise, so it's important to keep your eyes open to the possibilities. 
Thanks for listening to Transform It Forward, the podcast that gives you an inside look at some of the world's most effective transformation processes. If you like this episode, please be sure to give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Paul French, and I look forward to being with you next time. Transform It Forward is brought to you by Axway, who believes that in order to create the most value for customers, partners, and employees, you need to open everything by securely integrating and moving data across a complex world of old and new technologies.